We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. Today's episode of the Bronx Pinstripe Show is brought to you by the Bronx Brewery and the Bronx Banner Ale. This golden easy ale is our go-to beer before, during, and after Yankee games. It's in the stadium in over six sections, a number of the bars near the stadium, and on tap in their South Bronx-based tasting room, which is only a quick walk from the Cypress Ave 6 train. These guys were a big sponsor for our last event, and we will get them involved again for the September event. If you are drinking beer during the game, make sure it's a Bronx Banner Ale. Let's get into the show. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 159. Two in a row, baby. Two series wins in a row. Scott, what's up? I forgot that this is a two-game series. Two, so it's a full series win. I keep forgetting about that. Yep. Beautiful. There's beautiful, only one way to win stuff. it, and that's to win both. That's right. No, it was good stuff, and uh, hey, man, we're, we're playing well. What did we say? Five of six? Some good stuff going on right now with the Yankees. They're, uh, they're going back and playing like we thought they would. After the first stint, until they hit that horrible month and month plus of baseball, so this is the this is the team we expected, right? Yeah, this is what good baseball is like. I forgot what this feeling was like for a while, since it was six weeks of horrible baseball. The guys are having fun. The pitching is actually doing well, both in the rotation and the bullpen. The bats are coming alive. I feel like everything is doing a nice, doing the flow dance, you know, getting, getting in the, in the groove, 
it's doing some good stuff. And we've got a great show for you guys today. Coming up, we talked to Wally Matthews. He was on his way home from the stadium. We talked to him for about 20, 25 minutes. He had a lot of good stuff. We also talked to some Mayweather McGregor. He's a big <laughs> boxing fan, and he had some strong opinions about that fight, Scott. Yeah, I feel like I knew exactly what he was going to say before he said it, uh, but it was it was definitely interesting to hear his take on some of those things. I felt like like you had uh, in the notes when we were talking a while that we had to get some boxing stuff from him because it's... Uh, if, if you do read any of his stuff, you know he's a big boxing guy. Before we get into everything, you want to tell people what, uh, what to do with this podcast right now? Yeah, what you're going to do, please, is go right to the App Store, whether you are listening in iTunes, whether you're listening to it through Google, whatever you got to do, go and give us a rate and review. We have been asking you guys to do this and it means a lot. I can tell you we are getting good guests and the reason that is is because we're getting highly ranked in the App Store and the only way, the one way that happens is if you listen to the show and then you go and download and then you go and review it. Five-star review if you love it. If you don't love it, don't rate the don't rate the show. Just just keep your hands to yourself. It's fine. Um, go listen to somebody else. It's cool. We're good. But uh, no, we really do appreciate it. It means a lot to us because it does help us get uh, more and just a lot, a lot of uh, very good guests on the show. And it just helps us uh, you know, feel good about ourselves when we do this. So please go do that. Let us feel good about ourselves. I was just going to say that. It's nice reading the, all the compliments, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, we've said this before. We talk into microphones. I know you're there, but we don't know if people are listening. I mean, we know we see numbers, but it's uh, when we see the actual feedback from the shows and we talk to people on Twitter. It's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. There's, the more interaction is better. So definitely do that. We really appreciate it. Please go rate and review the podcast. All right, guys. As you sit here today, we are four days away from the trade deadline. A lot of rumors going around Yankees world. Starting pitching is rumor number one. It's number one on the priority. They need starting pitching, especially after we saw what Caleb Smith did in Minnesota, what Luis Sessa has done out of the bullpen, and in the one or two starts he's got. They need a starting pitcher because it's pretty clear that four guys that four guys are okay. That one glaring hole might sink them this year. Yeah, and before you know, obviously before Pineda went down, I think there was a lot of question mark who was going to leave the rotation at that point. Well, no longer that question mark is gone. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how we said like we got we got mailbag questions about that? We said it's going to work out somehow. It always does. It does. I mean, you need more pitching, just always, because whether someone tanks or someone gets hurt, I mean, the inevitable injury is uh, it feels like it's around the corner at any point. If you listen to John and Susan, they'll say, oh, someone big gets hurt every day in Major League Baseball. I mean, they pretty much say it every broadcast, but it's not wrong. There are a lot of injuries, and especially in the starting pitch, uh, in the rotation. So, yeah, they need a pitcher, and Sonny Gray is, uh, is the guy that keeps coming up. So I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen with it. I know he just pitched on, uh, what, Monday? Tuesday. Um, he pitched Tuesday. Tuesday night, and he, uh, he gave up four runs, but they were all unearned. So there's time now between starts, and you got to believe that they're probably going to use that time to further the negotiations or, or whatnot. It's it's interesting to hear that Alonzo's name keeps getting thrown in there. But I mean, did the Yankees really need another body at first base, a rental for that matter? I don't think so personally. I don't want to give up anybody for him. So I wonder if uh, Billy Bean, your boy, is trying to throw him in the deal. Why is Billy Bean my boy? He's a Hall of Famer in your eyes. He's your boy. <laughs> I'm, I believe I was the one who brought up if he's overrated or not. Yeah, but you still think he's a Hall of Famer. 
Oh, well, he did. He did. I'm not getting into this again. Anyway, uh, yeah, you brought up that that point with Wally later in the show that is Alonzo being thrown into these trades because Billy Bean is trying to offload him. Yeah, which is interesting. I don't know if he's just trying to jack up that package because, I mean, Alonzo, they're seeing what's happening now. He's he's producing better than he ever has, and they're going to lose him anyway, so they're they're trying to offload him, obviously, and get something for him. So um, I don't know if it's that other teams aren't biting on this guy and they're, like, seeing him as... You know that that quick that quick rise to to not much more that he's peaked already. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm on that. I'm on that train. I don't think he's anything special. But well, he's know. certainly not. I mean, the Yankees situation right now with Frazier and Headley at the corners, and then Garrett Cooper coming off the bench. I'm not sure Alonzo's an upgrade over that. Well, the other thing is that everybody every everybody always wants an upgrade at every single position. We need a guy because this guy's not doing as well. But you look up and down that lineup. You don't need every single guy to hit 17 home runs at this point during the season. It's you need, nice. It's nice, but you need more than anything, I think, right now is just a little bit of stability at first base, a good glove. I mean, you don't need crazy numbers right now. You just don't need it. The Yankees score enough runs. They just they need somebody over there to play good defense and not bat you know, under 200 with their eyes closed. I think what Billy Bean is finding is that the offensive market is it's not a buyer's market. It's actually a seller's market on the offensive side, but a huge buyer's market on the pitching side. So he right. may have been floating Alonzo's name out there. I, be, I believe he was back in 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 June when the Yankees first base situation was in dire situation with Chris Carter over there manning first base. But the prospects they were talking about for Yonder Alonso was ridiculous. Outrageous, yeah. Not and, happening. And if you look around the league, I mean, J.D. Martinez just got traded. And, like, he's the only big-name bat that's really moved. All the all the talk is about pitching, both bullpen and uh, and starting pitching. That's what teams need. Everyone, every, Offense is up this year. People are, are finding home runs. They're finding offense out of random-ass players. They need pitching. So do you think when Billy Bean practices his trade negotiations, he's looking in the mirror and he's like, yo, I'll give you Brett Lowry for Josh Donaldson. Deal. Deal. <laughs> he, and that's, uh, yeah. and that's how he goes into his negotiations. So he's, you know, he's, he's, he's really practicing not in a good way. Yeah, he negotiates against himself in the mirror, so he never loses. <laughs> right. But he does lose. That's the problem. He doesn't realize he loses, but he loses badly, bigly. That Josh Donaldson trade is a black mark on... On his record, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be tar- hard to overcome when it comes time for Hall of Fame candidacy. No doubt about it. That's a might be worse than a steroid allegation. I don't know for for a general manager. It's kind of a kind of a black mark right there. It's a bad one. But no, it's a. It, I think at this point, Alonzo is almost a, a, a guy that they're just. He realizes they're not going to get a lot for. So if you package them together, you know maybe you can get a better prospect or um, you know just a better package. So let's move I, off. I, of- I'm curious. Let's move off of Alonzo, though. Sonny Gray is the... There's so many rumors out there right now that the Yankees are going to be trading for Sonny Gray. I almost have to believe it at this point. Very rarely do you see uh, this much smoke. Yeah, well, and their scouts have been up and down the Yankees farm system. I mean, they've been in Trenton. They've been in uh, Charleston, which is where Florio's playing. And then they've been in, uh, in Scranton as well. So you're seeing them all up and down. And usually... You know, when you see that many guys up and down the Yankee system, there's obviously something brewing. They're 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 scouting guys for a reason. And if you do it at that many levels, to me, that's that's the makings of a big deal. And and Sonny Gray's the guy. So, um, you know, there have been names float. Florio's one of them. Mateo's another guy. Acevedo was pitching when he was in Trenton. So, those three guys to me are the ones that uh, that that are in their sights at this point. 
And I think Oakland wants center field help. I read that today, that they, they definitely want center field help. They were also looking at Rutherford. Obviously, he's no longer on the team. Right. But the, the market for Sonny Gray is big. The Cubs, Dodgers, Brewers, Indians, Pirates, for some reason, Royals and Astros are all rumored to be in on Sonny Gray trade. So the price is just going to go up and up and up. And there's it, Wally even pointed this out later in the show that, if anything, the Yankees always overpay for trades like this because they're the Yankees. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at what Cashman's done recently, he has not been. That's not he's not fitting into that into that block because he's been going out and making f- like phenomenal deals for the Yankees on their side, and they really have not teams. been overpaying. He yeah, he's been he's been doing the things that uh, that, that are that are good that are that are ones that that will get you into the Hall of Fame. But he's <laughs> uh, he's he's been making good deals, and they really haven't been you know, too crazy. I mean, honestly, like if you look at the past few deals that he's made, there aren't really many Yankees fans who are. Uh, in the know as far as the players and, and what's going on that would really say that Cashman made a bad deal. Yeah, totally agree. When, and then when you go look at some of the deals, like what he gave up, um, yeah. uh, what's his name? Green. Starling Castro, green for Didi. I green mean, come for on. Didi is the like, maybe for the biggest deal insane. of all time. Yeah, it's crazy. And then Chapman there back and back again. It's, you know, it's a... Uh, He's done some good. Jo- he's done some really good jobs lately. So you, we've always I have full confidence him. in him. We've always yeah. praised him for his trades. When it's he's, the free when agent he's signings. The free agent signings are a different story, and we don't know a hundred percent if it's all Cashman or if there's Steinbrenner influence or whoever's influencing some of those other uh, free agent contracts, like <clears throat> Jacoby Ellsbury, who they're <laughs> now trying to offload somehow. But his trades have, have been pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean he's he is the king of dumpster diving. He goes and he finds somebody who's down a little bit, and he will uh, he'll go and turn them into a nice shiny gold piece. So he's done a really good job, and uh, I have full confidence in him. Speaking of Ellsbury, the Yankees need to figure out something with this guy. It's clear Clint Frazier is ready for the major leagues. He's producing. He's hitting. He's exciting. They have him batting second. He plays hard. He scores from first base. Something Ellsbury can't do. <laughs> They need to do something with Jacoby Ellsbury. Michael Kay floated that potentially Justin Verlander for Jacoby Ellsbury bad contract swap. I don't know if that's actually realistic, but it's going to have to be some sort of Yankees eat a portion of Jacoby Ellsbury's money and take on somebody else's bad contract. Yeah, but the uh, to me the the K the K uh trade that he floated out there to me is ludicrous i mean you'd have to throw a very good prospect in there in order for that to happen and i just don't understand why the tigers would want els there's just what are they going to do with an aging outfielder that's that's not good anymore what is anybody going to do with that the the money has to really work out in the favor of the other team in my opinion and to me that swap is not is not drastic enough of a difference i mean their contracts are pretty close that's why when we were talking about this what on sunday we were we, we started talking about that um or i was mentioning that trade that happened last year with matt kemp and um uh, Hector Olivia was his name, by the way, was uh, the the guy that went from San Diego to uh, Atlanta in Kemp, and they were just trying to offload a giant contract. I mean, it was a, it was a literally, a, I think, a thirty million dollar difference, something somewhere in that mark. So it was a significant difference in contracts. And then they they threw a couple other players in there, but that's the type of deal, and that's why I think rumored earlier was the Giancarlo Stanton, and I mean, I could see something like that happening if the Yankees took on a boat ton of that money. But it would have to be a significant amount of that money, and Miami would have to be saying, "Okay, we're done." Um, I mean, news has since come out saying they're they're waiting until after they sell. But you know that type of deal I could see happening. But in in order to do that Tigers deal, you're gonna have to throw in somebody good. It absolutely, and like you said, the why would the Tigers agree to that deal? 
Justin Verlander yeah. is came up with them. He's been there forever, and he's still he's still a serviceable pitcher. Jacoby Ellsbury is not a serviceable center fielder. Exactly. Don't you want a guy like Justin Verlander who's on the backside of his career but could still pitch, and you know he would maybe slot in as a four or five worst case scenario, and and take that than than trotting out Ellsbury every single day. Oh yeah, there's no there's no question about it. <laughs> Uh, also, Jordan Zimmerman bad contract uh, was also rumored. I guess the Tigers are just riddled with bad contracts that they need to get off their books. Dombrowski, yeah, that's what Dombrowski's going to end up doing to the Red Sox. Dombrowski yeah. comes in and he he facelifts a team for like three seasons, and then they realize that there's no depth on the squad. Yep. Although the Red Sox just had Danvers come up, their third base prospect, who's but I believe number four in baseball behind Gleyber Torres, and he hit a home run in his first at bat. Yeah, but he's going back down. I mean, they're who knows what they're doing. But when they ju- they just got Nunez, Nunez. So Nunez, uh, Nunez now a Red Sox, and they're uh, they, now they have an issue. I mean, is Nunez going to be their everyday third baseman? I have a hard time believing anybody would do that. But um, maybe well, that's the case. <laughs> look at what they were. Look, look at what the alternative was for them. Well, yeah, maybe their number one prospect. I don't know. I mean, you catch lightning in a bottle, you catch, you pull this guy up. But I, I don't really know enough about the prospect to say if he was ready or not. I mean, granted, he hit a home run his first. His, uh, his first game, but does that mean it's going to sustain? I have no idea anything about this guy, to tell you the truth. So, But let's also look at this Ellsbury situation uh, realistically. It's right now July 26th, as we're recording, July 27th. Aaron Hicks is just barely taking batting practice at this point. He's not going to yeah. be back until mid-August. And then you've got two weeks until September call-ups. So even if Frazier does get sent down, it's only going to be for a couple weeks. It would suck. It's going to it's gonna piss off a whole lot of Yankee fans. But it's not going to be for the whole season. It's just going to be for a couple weeks, and then he'll be back. Yeah, unless they just carry another outfielder and, and sit. But I don't know. It's going to be an interesting situation. It's going to piss people off. It definitely yeah, is going to Yeah, hell yeah, it's going to piss people off. Because it's going to piss me off. It's just by looking at Ellsbury out there and, and just you know knowing he doesn't care. Well, then, because care. what is the then the goal of this team? Is it to win or is it to just play the players that you're paying a lot of money? Yeah, See, I still don't. I still don't get the the side of the argument where people go, well, you can't just throw away that money. <laughs> well, that's exactly what already happened. The money is burned. It's gone. So why why do we still have to pay for it? Because we're paying double for that money now. Wouldn't uh, exactly. We're not only paying for it. We. The Steinbrenners are not only paying for it out of their checking uh, account, but now Yankee fans are paying for it for having to watch Ellsbury on the field. Yeah, and they're dealing with the the repercussions of a terrible baseball player who doesn't care about uh, winning or playing baseball or even rounding bases in the correct way. Worst signing in Yankees history? It's starting to look that way. It's bad. It's bad it's, news. It's not even like, because you look at Carl Pavano and you're like, that guy was a total a-hole and he didn't yeah. want to pitch and he came up with every excuse not to pitch and and that's that's a bad signing for a different reason but Jacoby Ellsbury is just horrible at what his job is and that's playing baseball yeah and you know I mean that one you really do have to chalk up to to whoever was the 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 true decision maker on that contract because they really did one it was a knee-jerk reaction it was a it was a a reaction after they lost Cano this is we got to spend that money in some way, and they really did it off of one year of baseball. I mean, there were some decent years before that, but one peak year, and they made a huge contract. It's the Brock Osweiler signing of baseball, is what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, except football contracts aren't guaranteed, right? <laughs> I've I've had this conversation with people on Twitter before, and I think if you look at the actual dates of when the contracts were announced, 
the Ellsbury contract was announced a day or two before the Cano contract in Seattle. But that I means think, nothing. I agree. I think the Yankees realized they were not going to be able to match the 10 years that was reportedly being offered by Seattle. And then they went out and said, okay, Robbie, you can go to Seattle because look, we got shiny new Jacoby Ellsbury coming in. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what happened. It was a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, granted, I'm sure they had the conversations while at the same time, but they knew damn well that Cano was taking that 10-year deal. They knew that he was going over there. Jay-Z had already put on a Mariners hat. It was over. The home part of the Cincinnati four-game series started on Tuesday. Yankees won. Montgomery finally looked good in the second half. He had two bad starts. The worst thing about his starts in the second half was that he was losing command. He didn't have control. He was walking player, uh, He was walking hitters. Falling behind in every count. He actually took a no-hitter into the sixth inning. I may or may not have jinxed it. I'm apparently just a gigantic jinx this season. I said, I don't believe in jinxing no-hitters. And I said that right before he gave up the no-hitter. But hey, he did pitch great. I don't really know why you don't believe in jinxes in general. Because that's all you've done all year is jinx people on this team. Why would you think that you'd be, uh, you, you wouldn't jinx it on, on a no-hitter? I don't, I don't understand the logic. There be, I just think it's stupid. I think it's honestly really, really stupid that uh, me tweeting at home in my apartment, I right. could have any effect on Jordan Montgomery giving up a base hit to the Cincinnati Reds. But you did. I did. Clear. It, it's proof in the pudding. Right. So stop doing that, please. <laughs> what did you think of Monty? Yeah, he looked good. I mean, this is a guy that, that again, had to regain that control. And uh, I, I think him coming home and, and pitching in front of the home crowd was exactly what he needed to get, get that mojo back. Um, I mean, it's a different ball team right now. It's a different ball club playing. I, I, I do believe that when you're losing as badly as you are and, and you know that once you give the ball up, even if you pitch well, that very possibly the game is going to be lost by the back of the bullpen because they've been so terrible, it adds a little bit more pressure to you to be even more perfect. And you know maybe that's not going through their minds all the time, but I, I guarantee it's floated in the back there at some point. They're thinking about that. Um, but I don't know. When the team's playing well and every there's good vibes, everybody's having fun, just baseball becomes better and you play better baseball when you're having fun. So I'm glad he was home. I'm glad that he's corrected it because um, you know it would be a shame for him to just uh, continue that bad streak after such a good first half. And you saw Joe have a quick hook with him because he got a yeah. couple runners on base in the sixth inning and then, or excuse right. me, in the seventh inning and then he immediately pulled him. And that's a that's a that's where I believe that Joe does the does a good job in protecting his players in certain situations. That that was a, an opportunity where he's going to leave Montgomery after struggling a couple starts, and he's going to make sure he leaves the game on a high note. And I agree with him, especially when you have that just beast of a bullpen behind you at this point. Right. If this were three weeks ago, and we were talking about Tyler Clippard potentially coming into relief of uh, Montgomery, then you'd say no, let's stick with Montgomery. But when you got Tommy Canley coming in who's been absolutely filthy and was filthy once again through four pitches, got his out. That's what you go to. Does this guy give up anything? I mean, he's nasty. He really is nasty. Yeah. He, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving him. I think he's fun to watch. He's aggressive. You can tell that he's just like a, a bulldog out there ready to go. And I know a lot of people were saying that he should have pitched the eighth inning. Easy to say Monday morning quarterbacking it because Dylan Batances looked terrible. And you knew, isn't it? It's really shitty that you know after one batter, hell, mm-hmm. two pitches, that Batances mm-hmm. was going to struggle on in the eighth inning. It, dude, the, the place gets so quiet. <laughs> you can cut it with a knife, the tension when he's throwing. And, and he's out there just like, you know, pulling the hat off, wiping his brow like he does, stamp, you know, walks behind the, um, the, the rubber. You can cut it with a knife. It's so 
it's just so anxiety. The level of anxiety in the stadium just raises when he's out there. And if he shows any sign of, uh, of walking a guy and he just can't shake it. It's crazy. It really is crazy how he gets in these grooves, these yeah, bad grooves. It's all or nothing with him. He's yeah. either got it or he doesn't have it. And I know that sounds stupid, but he's either out there walking two guys or walking the bases loaded, walking in a run against the Blue Jays, or he's striking out the side. There's no happy medium, it seems. You know, and there's a there's a lot of people who are like, why does Kinley not go back out there? Why are you going back to Dylan Batances at that point? Well, b- before this outing, Batances was starting to write the ship. You saw the the you know the good Batances coming back out. So I understand why Joe's trying to get his guy back out there to give him confidence in the home crowd to, you know, to get through it. And it just didn't work. He just couldn't throw the ball over the damn plate. And it was terrible. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you, does he regress? Does he come back? I don't know. It seems like he just goes back and forth every other week. I was using just off my memory and off the eye test. And I said, it seems like Batances walks right-handed batters more often than he walks left-handed batters. And it's true. 21 walks against righties in only 64 at-bats and eight walks and 59 at-bats against lefties this season. So he's walking three times as many batters, essentially, uh, of righties. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know why that is. I don't know if he's just you know leaning towards one pitch over another to uh, right-handed and left-handed batters or... I think you know, it's just he shakes him up. I think he uh, he throws his slider. He's he's more comfortable with his slider. Yeah, he can throw that. He throws that at big opportunities. A lot of guys don't. He he feels comfortable throwing that breaking ball. And I think he feels more comfortable throwing it to lefties. Yeah, yeah. I you know I don't know what it is. I can't I can't put my finger on it. But he needs to fix it. And if he doesn't, he's just you know we'll throw somebody else in there because we have like eight guys now who can pitch into the eighth inning. And also, people were were saying Girardi is an ass for not bringing Canely back out there, but. Are you really going to go blame Girardi for the fact that Batances didn't have his control? How does he? How does he know that? Yeah, I don't really understand that part. I mean, when you have guys like with the with the, um, you know, the ability that they have in the in the bullpen at this point, how do you blame Girardi for any of it? I mean, these guys just have to perform. They're all good. I understand blaming Girardi for for uh, not going with the mentality of. Canely can go out again for the eighth inning, and then I can save Batances for the next day because we've all, we've got a game, a day game tomorrow, and then four games against the the Tampa Rays. So I I, I understand blaming Girardi for not taking that approach, but you can't blame Girardi for Batances sucking. It doesn't that doesn't make sense. Well, at the same time, if you don't run Canely out there, you have him, and you run Batances out there for one inning, you have him also. You have, you're saving both guys at that point. So it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, though. If you're if yeah. you're in this situation, Just throw the ball over the plate. Todd Frazier's Yankee moment, first Yankee Stadium at bat, coming up with the bases loaded. Everyone's thinking grand slam in the place. He apparently has 600 people from Tom's River. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's, <laughs> That's a lot two of sections worth of people. He's, I heard that he left 20 or 22 uh, tickets. He's yeah. like, yeah, they'll they'll just figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, grounds into it or lines into a triple play. You you literally cannot write that. It was a weird play. I mean, Didi was in a weird spot, and then he stopped. Like Didi didn't have the best base running. There's no doubt about that. Yep. But he was hung up a little bit in the beginning. He just, he just I don't know. Got he got weird at the end. Well, <laughs> he got Didi, weird towards the end of it. <laughs> Didi, uh, like you said, he got caught in the middle. So he thought it was going to get caught in the air. So he kind of went back to second base. And when he realized it didn't, he started to like stutter step. And yeah. what he should have done is once uh, the shortstop tagged second base and threw it, threw it to first base, either sprint to third or sprint back to second base. Do not yeah. jog to third base. Yeah. 
yeah, he didn't make a good decision at that point. And the Todd father grounds in, in the book, into a triple play in his first at bat in front of his boys, at Yankee, 600 people at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> Ironically, it, because it was the only seventh, seventh time in history that a run scored on triple play, that's more historic than if he had just hit a grand slam. He did have his Yankee moment. Yeah, <laughs> he had that's it. That's what I said. It's going to be a moment that, that will go down in Yankees history. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a shame that it happened to him. I kind of like him. You know, honestly, <clears throat> this is this is still one of those guys that people are like, oh, but it's Chris Carter reincarnated. It's the same dude. But it's not. No, I, I don't know. I like him. <laughs> I like that he's a Jersey guy. I like hearing him talk. I think oh, you're, uh, you're getting suckered into the Jersey storyline, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm totally he's into commuting it. Was, from Tom's River. It's like 90 I love something. That. I yeah, like yeah, I think showed it's, the it's, graphic. He's of, literally sitting in traffic. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love Google it. Maps. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really do. I think I'm I'm completely on board with that entire thing. I've I've honestly wanted him to be a Yankee for a lot of a lot of years. But, you know, with what happened last year in, in Chicago where I just didn't think it was ever happening. Plus he was not very good. So I'm like, okay, well maybe that dream will end. But now it's back. Now it's back, baby, and we just need him to hit. And he did today. He did. He got his first home run. Uh the Todd father, which was obvious from John Sterling, and then in Todd we trust, which I did not see coming. That's why John Sterling's the best, because he always throws that curveball in the end that you never saw coming. That's a good one. You gotta he, See, I like when he does the, the, the twofers, you know, follows it up with some another genius line when you're not ready for it. You're like, oh, you think it's over. But no, no, that was not the grand finale. The grand finale is coming up in Todd We Trust. <laughs> the grand finale. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I unfortunately had one of those days where I could not really follow this game. Thanks a lot. Work. But I did watch the recap and read everything about it. Severino has fir- has become the Yankees' number one pitcher. I'm, I'm still holding the ace, the ace off limits for a little while. But he's clearly the Yankees' best starter. Everything we wanted him to be and more. Yeah. I was curious if you're going to throw the word ace out already at this point. No, in the I'm not doing after- it. I, see if well, I good can't, for you. Good I'm, for you. No, you shouldn't. I'm true to myself. You Well... We'll see how long it lasts, but you shouldn't you shouldn't do it yet. But no, he's uh, he's he's def- he's turned into the clear clear number one and a dominant number one at that. He's been very good, and it seems like he's only getting better. The the velocity late in games is, I think, something that separates him. Everyone can come out there throwing ninety seven miles an hour in, in the first inning, but he's throwing ninety seven miles an hour in the sixth and seventh inning. Well, and when he's got control and he's got that fastball going that late and he's got that third pitch going which he's doing all of the above he's nasty i mean it's it's really it just uh it, it's fun to watch it's it's fun to uh to see this guy transform after what struggles he had last year so it's um i'm i'm, I'm pumped for the dude and look i think we have a very clear number one pitcher for a long time with with severino i think he's uh i think he's gonna get even better i mean once he's gonna learn how to pitch better too and that that fastball is not going away anytime soon isn't it ironic we owe it all to pedro martinez it is pretty funny. I'll give uh, he owe, he owes the Yankee fans a lot after throwing Zimmer on his head. I'm sorry. So this you all, is uh, you this are is retribution debt. for throwing Zimmer down. I will. I will never. I don't I condone never, Zimmer, but I'll take it. Yes, I will. I don't think I'll ever forget. But I, I maybe I, I could forgive a little bit, but I will never forget. <laughs> Didi's also on fire, uh, and Clint Frazier's on fire. Didi though, 15 for 29, 517 on his eight game hit streak. Those are Jose Altuve numbers, who is batting over 500 in the month of July, which doesn't even make sense considering July is almost over. 
Yeah, and five home runs. He's doing it with power. It's not just singles. He's not getting on base with little bleeders. The dude is driving the ball. I mean, right field at Yankee Stadium is his best friend. It was the greatest career move ever for him to come to Yankee Stadium because he's probably, of anybody, taking advantage of that short right field porch because he just hits a line drive and it's out. Yeah, he he, he more than anybody just pulls his home runs. I, I honestly yep. can't remember one opposite field home run for him. No, I saw a graphic somewhere on Twitter that I think uh, one of these five was was more towards center, but it was more way more than any of the others. That if you look at the pattern and the uh, the, the spray chart of his home runs, they're all deposited, you know, down the line in right field. So that's his sweet spot, and it's good because that's what the stadium allows. So I'm glad he's taking advantage of it. And the Yankees sweeping Cincinnati is exactly what they had to do. Cincinnati is a bad team; they're a National League bad team, and they had the Yankees took advantage of that finally. The one thing you, you, we can say about them, which is an even bigger positive on the Yankee side, is they are a bad team, but they can still hit. They still can score some runs. And the Yankee pitching came in there and just shut them down. So good, good, good news on the pitching front because the Yankees needed it badly. And for us to sustain this, obviously, and to keep progressing forward, that pitching's got to be there. And it's a huge series coming up against Tampa. Four games. Tampa's right behind them in the standings. The Yankees are right behind Boston in the standings. I also was looking at the the uh, the AL East today. I still don't understand how the Yankees have played so much fewer games than the rest of the teams. Yeah, I mean, obviously there have been rainouts and but days. They, how many rainouts have there been? I think just the one, and they already made it up against Boston. Yeah, I don't know. I got nothing for you on the scheduling front. Thanks, Manfred. <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's something that they needed to ride momentum in, in out of their finally winning a series, coming back home after a long road trip. They needed to ride momentum against it, going against Tampa. Well, and they have to they have to give it to Tampa because every time we go down there, it's a it's a pain in the ass. House of Hearts. Every single time we go to the trap, it's a pain in the ass. So now that they're coming up here, uh, you know the Yankees have to give it to them. That's a, a four game set. That's a big series take it to them, score a ton of runs. These guys can score runs too. So I have a feeling um, there, there may be a couple of shootouts uh, among these four games, but it's a big series, no doubt about it. And it could make a very big difference, you know, with, within the standings. And the Red Sox have not put us away. And guess what? That's going to be their biggest mistake. The biggest mistake they could have done <clears throat> is not put us down because now this team is rejuvenated. They've come back from the fires of hell and they're ready to take the Boston Red Sox and take this AL East and dominate into the playoffs. <laughs> I'm fired up now. You got me fired <laughs> up. If you guys are fired up, call the voicemail line 646-480-0342. We mentioned it on last show. We want to get more people calling this line. Everyone should be calling it up right now. Leave your rant. Leave your take. What do you think the Yankees are going to do with the trade deadline? Who knows? Also, a little bit of news. If the Yankees do make a trade, we're, we're still going to do our regular Monday episode. But if something goes down Monday afternoon at the trade deadline, Scott and I will do another episode on that Tuesday. Uh, obviously discussing whatever trade the Yankees do make. Um, anything else, Scott, before we get into the Wally Matthews interview? No, that's it. And uh, Wally Matthews might be eating literal a literal crow at some point in the future too. So there's your little teaser. One final thing, actually, I want to tell you guys about the Bronx Brewery's Bronx Banner Ale. It's a golden easy ale and it's the perfect beer for summer and for baseball games. Scott and I obviously 
love it. We were, we were drinking it at the event. We were, we're going to be drinking it at the September 30th event. It's available in the stadium in over six sections and around the field. You can also go check it out at uh, their South Bronx-based tasting room, and you can find it in bars around Yankee Stadium. Uh, it's, it's, I know, I don't know about you, Scott, but my mood, uh, my beer mood changes based on the time of year. And this is uh, a light beer and it's hard to crush IPAs when it's 95 degrees in the middle of August. You, you will pay for that if you crush IPAs at that point, but no, this one is absolutely perfect. The other thing that they do, which is awesome is they support the, the, the South Bronx. They support the New York restoration project. 5% 5% of every case sold of Bronx Banner is donated to the New York Restoration Project, which is a local nonprofit focused on making the South Bronx greener and more sustainable. So not only are you drinking a good beer, but you're also helping the community. And if you want to find out where the beer is sold, go to thebronxbrewery.com find and select Bronx Banner in the drop down and then you can enter your zip code. All right, enjoy this section of the podcast with Wally Matthews. I was dreaming, sleeping rarely. Had a different theory, then I started thinking clearly. Can y'all even hear me? But nobody's on call. Can't turn around now, I know we're not far. And I can smell it. Deep down, they're jealous. That'll never sell us what they used to tell us. Shout out to all the fake fans. To the dreamers that can make plans. Joining us on the podcast now is Wally Matthews. He's a writer for the New York Times covering all New York sports. Used to be a beat writer for the Yankees. Wally, how's it going? It's going very well, Andrew. How are you? Good. You're on your way home from the stadium. It was, the Yankees finally won a couple games back-to-back. We haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, well, they've actually won five out of the last six, and uh, it's kind of hard to remember, you know, when they were in that stretch where they, I think they went 10-22, and 22. And look like, you know, whatever they were, whatever had gotten into them the first six weeks of the season seemed to have worn off. But uh, they look pretty good right now, and they're poised to, to make a run at the division again. So the, when you're looking at those old struggles and you're seeing with this team now, are you just kind of chalking that up as just a bad stretch of, uh, of baseball and some bad luck with injuries and such like that? And, and this is more of the team uh, we can expect? I, you know, that's a very interesting question because I don't think anybody back in April – said, hey, this is the Yankee team I expected. Right. I think they were a lot better than even the Yankees themselves expected. I think um, that the feeling within the organization was that this team was a year or two away from really coming together, and I think it came together quicker than they thought. Uh, you know, maybe they were playing a little bit over their heads. But, um, yeah, there were certainly a lot of injuries. Obviously, uh, you know, pitching went down, a lot of position players in and out of the lineup constantly. So that had part of it. You know, that that was some of it. Also, some of it is the natural the cyclical effect of baseball where, you know, teams are hot for a while and they're not hot for a while and they're, they're hot again. And we may just be seeing the ebb and flow of the baseball season and maybe, they, you know, they're on the upswing again now. I'm curious because you covered the team for a lot of years right after and around the, that 09 championship and then in those years following. Um they had a lot of old players on it. Now they have a, a lot of young players. Other than that mm-hmm. obvious difference, what are, what are some of the other differences you're seeing in these two teams and in the clubhouse specifically? Well, I think the, the biggest difference, obviously, is the youth. I mean, I think the team is more athletic now, obviously, and I think there's a different feeling around the clubhouse. Um, I just think it's a looser clubhouse. I'm not saying that it was tight or that it was in any way a bad atmosphere before, but when you have a lot of older guys – you know, and the captain is, is the oldest guy in the room. I think uh, that pretty much sets the tone. I think everybody was a lot more serious. 
and a lot quieter. Uh, you know, there wasn't quite as much fooling around. And I, I think you see more of that now when you're in there. But I'll tell you something else. The Yankees still are not like a lot of clubhouses I've been in. You know, I, I spent a lot of time with the Mets these days as well. And, you know, the atmosphere there is, is pretty raucous by comparison. The Yankees still are pretty sedate, but by their own standard, there's a lot more banter and interaction among the young players because there's a lot more young players in the room. And to me, that's that's the biggest difference that I noticed. Well, why do you think that is that the Yankees are more buttoned up? Because I actually heard CC give an interview recently, and he said that the outside perception of the team was that they had no fun. And that's just not the case. When they're in the clubhouse and they're hanging out together, it's a lot of fun. But you you said yeah. it's still not the same as, like for instance, the Mets clubhouse. You have to remember, you have to remember there's two different clubhouse periods. There's the period when the media is there, and there's the period when the media is not there. That's true. <laughs> I guarantee when we're not there, it's a lot different. I think the Yankees have been trained by their media staff uh, to be as non-controversial as possible. I mean, look, you know, if you've been around New York long enough and it sounds like you have, you know, you remember the Bronx Zoo days and it wasn't, you know, it was not always the way it is now. But I think the regime that's in place now with Brian Cashman and Joe Girardi and, uh, and Hal Steinbrenner as opposed to George Steinbrenner, very different people. And, uh, you know, the, the PR director, Jason Zillow, I think, they want to put forth uh, a much more conservative image than the Yankees were known for in the past. And I think that they go, they undergo extensive media training. And I'll tell you this, the Yankees are extremely professional in the clubhouse. You do not. And, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, but there are other teams where there are some bad apples in the clubhouse. And, uh, Oh, come on. You can name drop on here. No, I won't. I won't, I won't do that because I I just don't think it's right. I mean, you know, (laughs) it's not, it's not what I do. But let me just say that there, there are media professionals in this town who do not stand up to their players, and they pretty much, you know, hey, listen, if you want to blow off reporters, if you want to be nasty, if you want to, you know, not be in the clubhouse, that's your right. The Yankees don't do that. The Yankees pretty much expect accountability from their guys. Um, at the same time, they don't want them to be very controversial. They don't want them to be too outspoken. You know, they, uh, I think like the days of like the Nick Swishers in there and all, I, I think those days are pretty much over for now. But they do want accountability and they do want you in front of your locker after a game, especially if you're one of the key members in a game. So, I mean, I, I must say as a reporter, I like that. So you're talking about the organization and how it's changed and, you know, we're, we have a little bit more of a buttoned up atmosphere. Can you talk about the this rebuild? I mean, you see what, what they've done with the media and things and now we're seeing – the transition from going out and getting older guys with longer contracts to this rebuild of, you know, getting this, the farm system completely retooled and reorganized. And now we're seeing all these guys come up. So were you surprised last year when they actually did make that move and sell off Andrew Miller, Chapman? You were, were you surprised? Yeah. yeah, I was, I was because I think, you know, before that there was a belief among uh, a lot of people in the Yankees front office that in order to fill the ballpark, you needed big names, you know, you needed guys like Alex Rodriguez. You needed Derek Jeter. You needed Mariano Rivera. Now, of course, those guys were great to have there. But I think what they have learned, you know, it was a gamble, basically, for Hal Steinbrenner to say, you know what, let's dump some of these guys and start over, which is what they did. But I think what they're learning is that the fan base was ready for it. I really think so. I mean, I think, uh, you know, a lot of Yankee fans, you know, thought enough was enough, you know, uh, you know, out with the old and with the new. And I think that they're excited about kids like Judge and Clint Frazier and, you know, eventually Glaber Torres and, you know, some of these uh, the young pitchers. Uh, I, I think that there was a miscalculation to some extent 
by the Yankees front office thinking that, you know, if we bring these kids up, nobody's going to come to our ballpark. And, uh, you know, they've had over 40,000 in the park the past two days. So obviously people, I think, are excited about the young Yankees. And I think that it was, it was a move that was a long time coming. But you have to remember when you have a stadium with the overhead of Yankee Stadium, with the ticket prices that they ask at Yankee Stadium, you know, you, you can easily fall into the mindset that, hey, nobody's going to come here. You know, if, I, if I'm not giving you, you know, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones every night, nobody's going to come to see an indie rock band. Well, guess what? New Yorkers will. I totally agree with you that you can only have so many ceremonies with a team that's hovering around 500. You can only watch so many guys' retired numbers yeah. go up in Monument Park before you get sick of it. Uh, moving yeah, it on to the mausoleum, it almost becomes like you know, like like old timers day every day. <laughs> exactly. Really moving into the current team and and one of the old timers in the outfield, Jacoby Ellsbury. What the hell are they going to do with him? Because his contract is unbelievably immovable at this point, yeah. and he's not doing anything on the field. I mean, the only thing that you could see them doing is maybe swapping out for somebody else's bad contract and hoping that, you know, the old change of scenery routine works. You know, I've, I've never really seen it work that often. But, yeah, he, I mean, obviously that was a mistake. Um, I think it was that they made uh, as a PR counterpoint to letting Robinson Cano go. You know, they, they felt like, well, we got all this extra money. Let's make a move and show our fans that, you know, we are gonna, we're not going to sit back. We're going to do something. And this is what they chose to do. Now, in fairness to them, Ellsbury is coming off a pretty good run with the Red Sox. I mean, this guy in his second in the MVP voting in 2011. He had 32 home runs one year. He appeared to be the kind of player that you could build around. But I, I was kind of skeptical, and I can, you know, I can direct it back to stories I wrote for ESPN New York when this happened, uh, because a player whose game is basically based on his legs and his speed is not going to get better as he gets older. You know, and I always wondered, you know, about the wisdom of giving a seven-year deal to a guy who's going to be, you know, 37 years old when it expires. And I think we've seen the deterioration of him come even sooner than the Yankees expected. And now, what do they do with him at this point? He's a high-paid he's a high paid pinch runner and, and defensive <laughs> replacement, basically. <laughs> it's interesting thinking about the, the contract swap. I mean, uh, Michael Kay is getting a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, Presswood and talking about this Verlander deal with the Tigers. I mean, personally, when you look at it, I don't really understand it. It's, it's you know, I, I think I'd rather be stuck with a, a Justin Verlander than stuck with a Jacoby Ellsbury with the same contracts. I, I see it more as... Well, they certainly need a pitcher. They don't, they certainly, and they don't need an aging outfielder. No, there's no doubt. And the Tigers don't either. That's the problem. The But when you're looking at these... Con- yeah, right. When you're looking at these contracts, it almost has to be such a, a much bigger contract for a team that's in a different position for the Yankees to take the money. I mean, there's, there needs to be more incentive or giving up a, a, another kid but we're, you know you're looking at another long contract and this guy has an opt-out with Tanaka obviously the season has not gone the way he wanted considering well, he's opting, going yeah, out I can tell you that but even still right you, now, you believe I that you my house yeah that he's not opting out I mean <laughs> he's guaranteed a lot of money with the Yankees in the next three years and he'd be taking a huge roll of the dice off to think he's going to get more money or more years somewhere else. So, so you're looking at that thirty. It's a uh, sixty-seven million, I think, over the next three. Do you see Tanaka as a guy where uh, he's he also takes into consideration the the comfort of being in New York and a place where he's been uh, with that guaranteed money? Or, I mean, because if you look at the free agent market for pitching coming up this this offseason, it's not good. So, I mean, he would be the the guy. I mean, look, he might very well find somebody who's willing to take a chance on him, but I mean. What what is his his average his AAV the next three years? It's like twenty three million dollars a year, something like that. 
I mean, do you really think anybody's going to pay him more than that a year coming off this season where you don't know? Here's the problem. Everybody in baseball knows he's got a torn UCL. Nobody knows if it's gotten bigger, smaller, if it's the reason why he's having these problems. And if it's not the reason why he's having these problems, that's almost scarier. That's worse. Because yeah. you know what it means? It means the league has figured him out. All right? Do you think – you, you know, there's got to be a reason. It's one or the other. Either he's hurt or the league has figured him out. He hasn't forgotten how to pitch. Do you think the Yankees are hoping he opts out and then they could just walk away oh, scot-free? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think they have any hope of that. And the, the thing is, it was kind of a catch-22 for them anyway. Because if he had pitched well, they would have hoped, he, you know, for him not to opt out. <laughs> he would have, you know. So there, it was really, a, you know, an opt-out is really a no-win situation for the team. It's, it's a huge win for the player. And, I, you know, I applaud the agents who get those put into the contracts. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any way the Yankees are going to win this deal. Well, yeah, they, these opt-out clauses are becoming more common, and like They're the players, now. like you just said, the players have the team by the balls that when they can opt out. Yeah, if, and, I was, if I was a player or an agent, I would absolutely insist upon it. Right, there's, it's, you're absolutely right. There's a no-lose situation there. I want also then just transition to all the rumors around Sonny Gray and the Yankees desperately need another starting pitcher because they can't keep running Louis Cesar or Caleb Smith out there because that clearly isn't working. Do you think uh, Sonny Gray is their main target? You know, that's what Louis that's what it seems like. Uh, didn't convince you today that he's a, he's a candidate for the rotation. Who <laughs> Sessa? No, I no, I think Sessa no. belongs in AAA until he can figure his stuff out. I, I have the feeling that's where he's headed back to. You know, the thing about Sonny Gray is I know he's pitching well right now. I, I just wonder, you know, like is he better than a three or a four? You know, and is that really what you need right now? And what, what would you give up for him? It's going to cost a lot. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, the whole world knows the Yankees need pitching, you know, so that it's not going to be an easy bargain. It's not like the rest of the league exists, you know, to make the Yankees better. It's quite the opposite. I think the rest of the league exists, you know, to either take luxury tax money off the Yankees or, or get as many prospects out of them as they can. So, yeah, it's going to cost a lot, and you really have to think about, you know, how much does this give us, and, you know, is he the rental we need to put us over the top? I'm not completely convinced that he is. By the same token, he might be the best available right now, which which doesn't say all that much. You know, it's tough to know who's really available out there and how far the Yankees are willing to go. You know, I could see them maybe giving up a Mateo, maybe giving up a Floreal. I, obviously, I know they're not giving up Glaber Torres. Um, maybe they're willing to part with, with a Chance Adams. You know, they, they don't have a lot of pitching down there. If they did, we would have seen it up here by now. Um, so, you know, it's really up to how seriously Brian Cashman thinks this team can contend. And, you know, is it really worth it at this point to empty out the farm system for a guy who may or may not make a difference for you? The interesting thing about Sonny Gray, too, is the, the name that keeps coming up also is, uh, is Yonder Alonso as a first baseman. It seems like the Yankees have been right. throwing as many bodies at first base as they possibly can to see if, uh, if anything will stick. And honestly, it looks like when batting left-handed, Chase Headley is a, you know, has been the, the best option at first so far. I mean, are they, is, do you see, are you hearing anything about the Sonny Gray deal where the Alonso uh, player is also it. inside it? I've heard it both ways. I've heard that, you know, they want Alonzo in, in the deal. I've heard it also that they don't want Alonzo in the deal and that they think they can get by with Headley. Now, I will say one thing about Headley. He's a guy that Yankee fans seem to jump off his bandwagon real quickly. I mean, this guy had a horrible start last year, but he finished up very strongly. 
And uh, then he had a good start this year. And instead of everyone saying, well, you know, we saw this with him last year, like people are ready to run him out of town again. You know, I do. I think he was the best option for them for a five-year deal at third base. Probably not. Probably not. But I do think he's a serviceable player. And I think they can get by with him at first base if Todd Frazier works out of third. All right. Before we let you go, I want to transition to a boxing question because I know you are a huge boxing fan. Are you going to be buying the pay-per-view for the Mayweather-McGregor? I thought you said you had a boxing question. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting point. That. Well, they're having a boxing I match, so I, I think, think I know where you stand answer. on this. No, I'm not, I will not spend $100 on that. Uh, if it ends in anything other than a quick knockout by Floyd Mayweather, it's a fix. Yep. I'm telling you that right now. I'm telling you it would be, that would be a setup to try to get people to be suckered into it twice. Yep. There are a yep. lot of suckers out there. I read a story today in the Times about how, you know, all this betting money is coming in on Conor McGregor. Well, let me just tell you, I spoke with a professional boxer today who is retired, who is boxing with Conor McGregor right now, and he says the guy can't fight. I'm no, just telling you that right it's now. A publicity it's a publicity stunt. It's, a, it's an extremely obvious publicity stunt. I think the, if, if anybody's looking for some entertainment, just watch that. the hype. Also, it cashes in on a lot of things that I really have strong objections to. I think it cashes in on some racism. I think it cashes in on uh, a contrived rivalry between MMA and boxing. They're two completely different sports. I mean, I've had Yankees ask me, because they know that I cover boxing, you know, what, what do you think about, you know, does Conor McGregor have a chance? And I said to them, let me ask you this. If the New England Patriots challenge you guys to a baseball game, would they have a chance? Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good analogy for it. Well, yeah, it's, it's not. Don't play, don't play him in football, okay? You right. Know? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously well, a publicity stunt, but um, it's just... But it is suckering in a certain demographic who want to see Conor McGregor. And I know, look, Floyd has made a lot of enemies. A lot of people who dislike him, who would like to see him get beat, and think that, uh, that Conor McGregor, because he's brash and loudmouth and, and very reckless in an MMA uh, match, can bring these things into a boxing match. It's completely uninformed. You don't get lucky against the Floyd Mayweathers of the world. You don't land a lucky punch. Uh, you basically get your ass kicked. That's what's going to happen to Conor McGregor. <laughs> While we're unboxing, uh, and you've probably been asked this a thousand times since you wrote it, that you challenged Kurt Schilling to a boxing match because he's a complete yeah. a-hole. Uh, yeah, has he, he never responded to it. Never responded. That's bullshit. He, sh- he should respond. Put his money where his mouth is. Yeah, I'd like to just put it in front of my fist. That'd be fine. <laughs> uh, speaking seriously, though, about the Hall of Fame, uh, you said you're done voting for it, I think, because it's yeah. a huge mess with all the, the steroids. You know stuff. what? I have, an out, I have an out now. I have an easy out. Times doesn't allow their baseball writers to vote for it. All right, it's oh. perfect. But if you, if, you, uh, if you could fix the Hall of Fame voting, I'm not even sure if that's possible at this point, what would you do? I, you know what? It's so hard. It's not. I don't think the voting is the problem. I know there are like you know not to be limited to ten. Uh, a lot of times I have a tough time finding ten. Quite honestly, I don't think that's it. I think that baseball has screwed with its own rules and its own integrity so badly that it's very difficult for me to cast a ballot that I feel good about. All right. I mean, I don't want to vote for the steroid guys because I consider them cheaters. But at the same time. I don't want to penalize guys who I might suspect were on steroids but weren't, you know? And I also don't want to – I mean, do you think I don't want to vote for Barry Bonds? Do you think I don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame? I do. 
I do. I, I think he would have gotten there if he didn't do what he did. And then he would have gotten my vote. You think I don't want to vote for Roger Clemens? He probably would have been a Hall of Famer also. You know, but, but there's this little thing called character, integrity, and sportsmanship. It's right in the rules. It's right in the requirements. And to me, you know, if you did performance-enhancing drugs, you violated that clause, and I can't vote for it. And the other thing is you've also made it more difficult for guys who might have been Hall of Famers if they weren't playing against steroid guys. Right. You know, to me, it's just so hard for me to, to come up with a ballot that I feel good about and have 10 guys that I can really, in my heart, say, I think these guys played clean. I think they played fair. And it's only going to get harder as more of these guys become eligible. So, you know what? I don't need it. I don't need it as an ego boost. I don't need to go to a cocktail party and say to people, hey, by the way, I'm a Hall of Fame voter. I don't give a rat's ass about that. It's not an ego boost to me. I take it seriously. I think the guys who are in there, for the most part, belong to be in there. And, you know, I just don't like the process. Uh, haven't they really towed the line of the uh, of the point of no return though with get, getting some of these fringe guys in the guys that were rumored onto it? I mean, there none of these none of the guys that are in have tested, but you get your Piazzas, your Bagwells of the world who have been very much stuck in that conversation. And now what? Right. If, now if, what? And when there's smoke, sometimes there's fire. You know? Usually I, there is fire. You, I and I voted for Piazza because I thought you know his numbers justified it. And, you know, minus a, a, a positive test, you know, they really can't morally say, you know, you know I, I can't be the arbiter and say, well, this guy was a steroid guy. Right. But by the same token, Alex Rodriguez never failed a steroid test. All we have is his own admission of it because he knew he was caught red-handed. Right. You know, and people always say that about Bonds, becomes, too. Yeah, what do you do with him? Well, McGuire, you, you know, you're looking at McGuire. He had Andrew sitting in his locker doing interviews. It was sitting right there right. because it wasn't illegal at the time. Right, right. Of course. And you know what? The other, uh, the other specious argument was, well, you know, it wasn't against the rules of baseball at the time. Well, right. guess what? It was against the law. It was you against know, the law, murder right. may not be, <laughs> You know, it may not say in the CBA that you can't murder somebody, but if you do it, you're going to jail, you know? Uh, uh it's totally. Know, it's, just, it's just too hard a judgment call at this point. And like I said, I'll leave it to other people who, who can make their moral judgments and uh, you know, or put their morals aside. They don't need my vote. Well, it's just funny because the Baseball Hall of Fame gets so much more attention and people take it so much more seriously than all other sports Hall of Fames. As they should. As they should. Because, because it's such a numbers-driven thing? Or, or why? Absolutely. Why? Yes. Because you have you have quantitative analysis of how good these guys are. I mean, you know, please tell me how you figure out which offensive lineman goes into the camp. Well, right. well, he he really he has that. He was holding penalties. I mean, you know, how do we do it? You know, yeah, but holding the, the problem, though, the problem with that exact argument now, when you're talk, when you're talking about what's happening in baseball, is the numbers are now don't mean anything. They, they're they, they're not what they used to. Goes back to what I said, and and whose fault is that? Well, it's. I mean, you can look at a number of things. I mean, personally, I think they should look at eras and and just classify people and and players yeah. within an era. Because I mean, even yeah, I now you're looking at doing. they have to. Because even now you're looking at the travel, the technology, the the amount of right. medical care that they have. I mean, it's a totally right. different game than some of these guys that were going out there in the in the fifties and sixties playing during the day and and you know going out Absolutely. with uh, with broken thumbs. And if anything, you know, it, it really makes you appreciate those guys even more because I mean. You know, Barry Bonds had to do whatever he did to get to 762, uh, where Hank Aaron, you know, never weighed more than 180 pounds. He was like the same size as me. 
Right. You know, and if, if he did anything more than, you know, drink a cup of Major League coffee before the game, I'd be surprised. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if anything, you know, Bonds eclipsing Hank Aaron doesn't diminish Hank. It actually, to me, it, it raises him. <laughs> you know, it raises Babe Ruth. It raises all of them because these guys did it, you know, without all the advantages that these guys, that the guys today have. And you're right. They may very well have to do like a post-1994 era Hall of Fame. And, and uh, if they want to do it right, they got to be honest about everything that went on. All right, Wally, good stuff. We appreciate you joining us, and maybe we can get you on in a month or so after that Mayweather-McGregor fight and see what happened. <laughs> so I can eat crow after that. <laughs> no, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not leaning either way. Just, I'll just, tell you uh, what, if McGregor wins, I will, I will literally eat a crow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on the Bronx Pinstripe Show in uh, September. Awesome. Wally, we appreciate it. All right, I'll talk to you then. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.